0: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.
1: Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit provides information on how you can lead a healthy lifestyle. I'm the host, Josie Bidwell. Search for and subscribe to Southern Remedy on any podcasting app to not miss any episode.
2: mpb think radio this is creature comforts it's the show all about your animals and the animals around you kevin farrell here with dr troy major veterinarian at the animal medical center in jackson and libby hartfield retired director of the mississippi museum of natural science With Halloween approaching us in the coming days, our featured creature for today can be seen in decorations in homes and yards across the state. We're talking, of course, about a bat. So today we'll welcome back Caitlin Cross, conservation biologist from the Museum of Natural Science, to talk about the role of the bat in our ecosystem, answer any questions that you might have about these winged mammals, and share even more details about these not-so-frightful creatures. You can email the show by sending it to animals at mpbonline.org. And a reminder that if you miss Creature Comforts on Thursday morning, it repeats Saturday mornings at 6. So good morning, Libby. Let's uh, start with you as we usually do. What are you seeing around your yard these days? Well, I was
3: just telling Caitlin I went out. Mike, sorry, guys. (laughs) Um, I was very relaxed this morning in the studio. Um, I was just telling Caitlin I went on the porch this morning and thought, oh, no, I don't know what I'm going to talk about on air. And then uh, so I started listing my birds, and I got 13 Mostly the usual suspects, um, but uh, then it turned on Merlin, and um, we've talked about Merlin a little bit. I Mm -hmm. guess Merlin qualifies as AI. I noticed this week on Everyday Tech, they referenced us and said we were talking about an AI application. It's a pretty straightforward application, I guess, though. if He's, he's got all the maps so he knows what birds should be where on his computer there. He is the computer, I guess, Merlin. So anyway, Merlin said that um, he heard a ruby-crowned kinglet in the yard, and I've not seen them. You know, they, they leave and go— um, up to Canada to nest in the summer. And they're uh, like the last thing to leave, I feel like, in my yard. They they don't mind it getting cold, really. And uh, they're, they know where they're going. I guess it's going to be cold. But anyway, they are already coming back, and so I do have one in my yard.
2: All right. Anything else of
3: interest? And I looked for spiders, <laughs> and my spiders are really – look like they're in bad shape i think everything is just crying for rain so uh and the birds are you know i've got a little pond there it looks kind of murky and muddy and low but uh everybody's drinking out of it so i um, i think it's keeping us all going for a little bit but let's let's hope we get rain soon
2: yeah we could uh, use it that's that's definitely for sure Dr. Major joins us from his clinic in Jackson, as he does each Thursday. So good morning, Dr. Major. Halloween coming up, and I guess a couple of things that we might want to talk about in terms of pets. Uh, one being maybe not so many decorations as Christmas, but there are Halloween decorations and also uh, candy. So let's uh, start out with, if you have some decorations around the house, maybe some, a couple of tips on on pet-proofing them. It's
4: a great question, and of course it is difficult to pet-proof Unfortunately, most of the decorations that I've seen are outside, so mm-hmm. that may be a plus. I did see something the other day that uh, was talking about the spider webs, the fine spider webs, that uh, small birds and creatures can get caught in that, so be careful with those. Uh, a lot of yards have uh, pretty abundant spider web decorations. As far as uh, the pets and everything, but the Halloween decorations is really not that, I don't think, that crucial or critical. There are a lot of electrical cords, though, scattered around both the yard and inside, and be careful with those, because we do see occasionally either a cat or dog that chews on an electrical cord and gets a pretty good shot. So those can be dangerous. Uh, as far as others, I'm not real sure what they might get into.
2: Um, that's a great point. I had not thought about that, but you're right. You just take a little quick look at your outdoor uh, decorations and make sure that it's not something that might be able to trap the birds or whatever that are in your yard. So that's a, a good one that I had not even thought of. And so, with candy, is it just a no-no? To just better to not give your pets any candy.
4: <laughs> the real problem with the real problem with candy is that uh, people get careless with it. They leave a basket of. Uh, Sorted candies on the uh, cocktail table, coffee table, whatever you want to call it. And dogs, being dogs, will get into that. And a lot of times they'll eat the entire thing. This can cause some real problems. Uh, Certainly, pancreatitis, if it's dark chocolate, it can cause heart conditions, uh, this sort of thing. So, there are all kinds of things that can happen. But we have had cases where a dog ate an entire basket of candy wrappers and all Mm. and develop some pretty severe problems with that. So be careful with your uh, stash, if you will. Put it out of reach if you can.
2: You know, that's why I never volunteered to be the uh, candy dispenser because uh, then you're sitting, you know, by that bowl of candy all night waiting for people to come by and their <laughs> temptation of the humans to eat a lot of candy also. <laughs>
3: well,
4: it's already having a stock of that and certainly it's been temptations already uh, to get into that. And uh, it's uh, – but yes, uh, especially the dark chocolate uh, uh, is it's a hazard. I don't see that many cases where a cat uh, would get into that. They might play with it or something, but usually they don't uh, really desire to, to eat the candy.
2: Um, when it comes to trick-or-treating, I guess uh, if you own a, a pet, uh, be aware of uh, if, if it gets stressed out when it's, there are a lot of strangers around. Uh, but also if you are trick-or-treating with friends or family, just kind of be aware that there might be you know pets at every house. So some just some caution there, I guess.
4: Absolutely, and there are there are dogs that are alarm dogs, if you will. Anytime the doorbell rings or somebody comes to the door, they I won't say become ballistic, but certainly they are good watch dogs. And it may be good to put these dogs in a certain area of the house where they're not confronted with a bunch of noise and doorbells ringing, this sort of thing. Most uh, of the time, the cat. Most of the time, the cats will vacate the area in my situation and you might not see them for 24
2: hours they have good places to hide yeah you know I remember when my cat couldn't find him and you'd look all through the house or whatever and then finally when you give up you'd see him like you know strolling down the hallway and you're kind of like where the heck were you at anyway but yeah cats cats can find those hidden spaces when they need to get out of the way and so uh, they should probably be able to pretty much take care of themselves on Halloween Uh, one other thing to touch.
4: go ahead be careful about uh if you have a cat that's curious and possibly have the door open, you don't want your indoor cat to make a boat and go outside because that could be disastrous.
2: Again, that's uh, another thing I had to deal with. You're right. The, when the, the cat sees the door open and decides they want to go outside, it's pretty much a, a done deal. So you've got to be quick and uh, just be aware of that as well. So one final thing to think about is costumes. People wear costumes on Halloween. Some people wear, make their pets wear costumes and uh, I think I mentioned this before on the air, but to me, when you see the pictures, the pets never look really happy. To me, so uh, I mean, I guess it depends it's, on. Go ahead.
4: Yeah, it depends on the it depends on the pet. Uh, I uh, have seen some pretty strange costumes, and a lot of dogs are used to wearing sweaters, wearing coats, this sort of thing when it gets cold. And I've seen some that had some pretty pretty neat costumes. So you're right. A lot of dogs feel kind of like, "Hey, what the heck are you doing?" <laughs> and uh, I, I didn't I didn't bargain I didn't bargain for this. Uh, so one of the fads that's uh, occurring right now started, I think, in Japan or or in Korea is uh, actually using safe dye and making your pet look. Uh, like a different type animal I saw something online that showed a uh, fairly large I think it was a doodle uh, they had actually uh, used this stuff and it looked like Tigger (laughs) you know on whatever Tigger advertises I can't remember but you know what I'm saying Mm -hmm. it looked like that And and the dog was perfectly happy with that but you have to be careful with that and only use stuff that uh its safe for the dog
2: yeah i think i think if you can find that and make sure that it is safe and that it washes out easily that does seem like that would be better cuz then then the the dog's not having to wear anything it's just that you know his 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 or her fur has been dyed a different color here for temporarily but i, su- I suspect
4: a complete makeover is pretty expensive okay so <laughs> that may be self limiting <laughs>
2: So if the, if you are going the costume route, I guess you want to make sure it's it's close fitting, but not too tight or but loose. I think too tight or too loose might be a problem either way.
4: Absolutely, and uh, a lot of times they really res- uh, dogs, especially resent having something that covers the head or is up over their head. So just make sure that it's something and that they will tolerate, but not cause any harm.
2: And uh, I just based on my interaction with cats I've had, I'm not sure I would even attempt to put a costume on a cat if it was not uh, all, all in for that, because that could be kind of a scratchy uh, 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 c- uh, confrontation, I think, maybe.
4: In most cases, it would be temporary.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
4: cat would let you know pretty, pretty quickly.
2: <laughs> That's for sure. We'll get into bats in just a minute, but it looks like we do have a question on the line for Dr. Major, and it comes from David in Grenada. Good morning, David. You're on the air with us, so go ahead.
4: Good morning, everyone. Uh, I, I apologize but this has nothing to do with that, uh, but uh, I have a a squirrel issue. Um, uh, it's a good issue, though. But but uh, I, uh, about a month—well, I don't know—about say a month ago, he he fell out of his nest. He's small, tiny. Well, he was tiny. He's not as tiny now, but. Uh, but I was wondering, do I need to give him? Sh- do I need to get shots uh, for rabies or anything, or anything? Mm-hmm. Because he, <clears> he no, don't live
0: outside no more.
4: Right, there are no shots that are recommended for the wildlife like that for squirrels. And uh, I have, you know, dealt with squirrels over the years for a lot. Uh, at some point, they like to climb up to the highest places, whether that's on your head or. somewhere else and usually somebody will get bitten at some time or another so be careful Uh, uh, Libby may have some things to add to that as far as the squirrel is (coughs)
3: concerned yeah, there are technicalities to deal with. Um, it's 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 not legal for you just to take in a wild animal and keep it as a pet. So, probably need to talk to your conservation officer or somebody. Now, I have um, I know my father in law had rehabbed squirrels years ago, and he could transition them to outdoors. He really was able to do that. I I think kind of what he did was be there for them. When um, you know when they need you because they they haven't learned what squirrels need to learn, but they can they can learn to be a, a wild squirrel again. First thing I would do then is talk to the conservation officer and be sure that they're okay with you keeping it, and then um, they'll probably suggest some rehabbers and people that you talk to. And, um, but I, I think with a squirrel, you have pretty good chance of being able to born free it. And I have known people that have had some pretty terrible bites from squirrels, I'll just tell you. So, Libby,
4: you know, uh, when you think about it, there are literally dozens, if not <laughs> scores, of people that, uh, have, you know, helped raise baby squirrels that falls out yeah. of the tree, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I remember one of the uh, fishing game people said really that if you had a license, you know, fish, either fishing mm-hmm. or hunting license, that actually that was they would kind of use that as a permit to keep the squirrel. Now uh, you need to check with the local uh, enforcement people on that. But, yeah, uh,
3: yeah, I uh, would I, let I, my local person decide how how strict they right. wanted to be, <laughs> and they also probably have some good tips for you because you're right. Charlie, don't you think they've, they've run into this before?
4: Absolutely. And one of the things that you run into, if you introduce the squirrel, let's say that it's mature, it's eating nuts, it's doing whatever squirrels do, you introduce it outside, you may get some resistance from the local squirrel population That mm-hmm. hey, this is an intruder, and you can have some issues there. So it's, it's a science. And as you said, uh, you said your father-in-law
3: What's yeah my father in law had up. rescued a couple that that had problems and and let them go and um actually, it was very endearing because the 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 squirrels had to learn how to get along with their wild neighbors, which were probably their relatives because they would fallen right out of that tree but um it would come back and and greet Jimmy. Actually, for several years, the squirrel would come back and jump up on his shoulder and you know say hello and then run back off and it, Jimmy felt like it had a mate because he he was able to see it hanging out with another squirrel. He could identify it pretty easily it had a it had an injury on a on the tail and one of its legs, so he could identify his squirrel but I think you could still have a relationship with that squirrel and let it go outside and be a wild squirrel too.
2: All right, David, thanks for your call to kick us off this morning. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We're going to be sitting throughout the hour with Caitlin Cross, a biologist from the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. We're going to be talking about bats uh, throughout the hour. But again, if you have a a pet question or a wildlife observation, we always like to hear those as well. Let's uh, stay on the phone lines. Looks like we do have a bat question coming from Ryan in Houston. Good morning, Ryan. You're on the air with us. Go ahead.
5: Yeah, I've had uh, bats in my
4: attic, a colony that has been there for years. And I have not been able to get them to move and just wanted any advice
5: on that.
1: Hey, so that is a common call I get. So they're actually in your attic and not on a gable vent. That sounds like there's a hole that they have accessed in. Um, usually I try to look At dusk and see where the bats are emerging because they can come out of tiny, tiny little holes. Uh, They can fit into crevices the width of a pencil. Um, So I'd like to see where they are emerging. And this is a good time of year to exclude any bats that you may have in your attic uh, because we're outside of maternity roost. All the babies are grown. They can fly, and we're not quite into a period where they're going to hibernate. So they should all be active, uh, especially if it's a warm night, which around here, yeah, it's been warm. Um, So, yeah, I like to look. um, Sometimes it's just a little bit of flashing or might be a little hole that maybe a squirrel uh, created first. And um, you can do a one-way exclusion device so the bats can all fly out, but they can't go back in. Um, that's very important because a lot of the bats um, throughout the night, you know, they go off and fly to forage, but they're returning to their roost multiple times at night. So if you do the one way, they can go out, and you make sure you get everybody out because uh, they don't always fly every single night, especially if it is colder. And then once you, you know, established where they are coming out, you can just seal that up um, where best. Um that's, so that's all if you want to do it yourself. There are some professionals out there if you can afford it. And those professionals are trained to find those tiny little holes and how to patch them up so that, say, a squirrel can't reopen that hole. Um, I've seen a lot of people use foam. Uh, don't use foam uh, to seal holes. Uh, squirrels are, and rodents are very good at just taking that work and just chewing right through it and then you have that problem again uh, so yeah
3: that's a uh, very common problem
5: I've, I've tried uh,
1: all
4: that and uh, they just they make another hole and it's not squirrels we don't have any squirrels getting up there but I've i have actually seen the bats actually push another hole through there my, my house was built in 1904 and it's got vinyl siding on it and they they just i plug one hole and they find another one
5: and i have hundreds of them up there
1: yes so in that instance i would definitely talk with a professional especially with siding because uh, they provide the perfect crevice for them um, so they like your house uh, so you got to talk to one of those professionals that can keep coming back, uh, know your issues, and have the best tools and resources.
2: Okay. All right, uh, Ryan, thanks for your call. Hope that works out, but you haven't made time to call in the professionals on that. So if the, if the doing it yourself doesn't work, that's uh, what the professionals are for, so hopefully you can remedy that situation that way. Let's uh, stay on the phone lines. Our friend Kathleen looks like uh, has a story for us. She calls us from Osaka. Good morning, Kathleen.
5: Good morning, guys. I'm Libby. I wanted to let Libby know this one. I had my own wildlife uh, experience. When we had that large, large moon, I was just sitting in a chair by my little backyard, watching the moon, enjoying the cool evening for a change, and this huge, huge owl went from one side of my woods across two or three acres straight almost above me into the woods on the other side and it was right in front of that big moon. I thought I'd never seen anything so beautiful in my life and so wild. So I'm thinking, okay, I'm, next couple days I'm watering trees and everything, trying to keep them alive, you know? And I had the host kind of running on a dribble on this uh, sweet olive tree I because it's 35 feet tall and I went close to it, and I'll be dug on it. The horn dial was on the ground getting water out of that faucet. It <laughs> blew up. My, I like to die of a heart attack. I said, go visit me on another night. <laughs> 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 at, at the curbside phone. But he, uh, he's got a home here. He, definitely, he or she, uh, I didn't get yeah. the ID. But uh, what a beautiful, beautiful sight. And oh. It was just like... I've never seen in my life that one night with the full moon with that, He has to be three foot tall. I've never seen anything like it. I mean, I'm short. Sure <laughs> I said, oh, what going, this is a bear.
3: <laughs> They're huge. They really are. <clears throat> but you know how it is with a the bird. They're all feather. Uh, we've had to deal with the rescued one, which is difficult because, boy, they've got some talons. Oh, yes. But... um they, uh, If you pick them up, it's just amazing because it's like your hands go in forever <laughs> to find uh, a place to grab them because they're, they're so much feathery. But that said, they're pretty big and ferocious animals if they need to be. That was great that he saw you, and I'm glad your faucet was there. Obviously, if he's going to keep making those moonlit flights, he's going to need some water.
5: Right. I think he was following the other birds there and found them at the faucet, and that's what he, how he found well, it. Well,
3: yeah, he's not above getting a snack from wherever <laughs> he can get it, yeah.
2: All right, uh, Kathleen, uh-huh. good to hear from you this morning. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We'll be visiting with Sauer with our current bat expert, Caitlin Cross, from the Mississippi Museum of Natural mm-hmm. Science. Caitlin, good to have you back on the show. If you would, tell us a little bit about your background and how you got interested in bats.
1: Ooh, how did I get interested in bats? Well, first, I thought I wanted to be a veterinarian, and uh, I worked at a vet clinic all throughout my high school career, and then I went off to college, and I was pursuing the vet degree, but I was also wildlife, and then I decided, you know, I really like wildlife. It was really cool at Mississippi State. I really enjoyed up there, and, you know, I just did not want to take organic chemistry. Um <laughs> So <laughs> I dropped out being a vet, but I stayed in wildlife, and I decided what I wanted to do. And I really liked fish, so I pursued that. And then I graduated, and I was actually pursuing fish. But all, all throughout college, I was still volunteering. And that's something I highly advise to anybody with any career path that you don't know what you want to do. Volunteer with them and get that real-world experience, because you might find, uh, you know, that's not for me. Because, yeah, I went back to my vet clinic, and that was another thing. No, I don't think I want to do that. Uh, So I volunteered with the bat biologist, Kathy Shelton, uh, all throughout my undergrad. And I graduated, and I was applying for jobs, which was rough. But she had a position open. She already liked me. And I was like, you know what? Yeah, I could do this. I could do this. I could work with bats. And I was supposed to leave after three months to go to fish. uh, But then I was like, nope. Bats is where it's at. Um, I fell in love. (laughs) They have tiny little feet, furry feet, and I was smitten. (laughs) Um, So I kind of stuck with it, and I built on it, and I expanded, got my master's, and I'm actually the state mammalogist. So Uh I work with bats, skunks, mice, you name it.
2: Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio, and our guest for the hour is Caitlin Cross, biologist at the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. If you missed any of today's show, you can always subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app Or better still, download the MPB Public Media app. That way you get access to all the local MPB Think Radio programs on your schedule. You can email animals at mpbonline.org. So, Caitlin, is there really something called a vampire bat?
1: There is actually something called a vampire bat. There's actually three types of vampire bats. No, they don't occur here. (laughs) (laughs) That is one thing that uh, first thing people ask is like, oh, do they actually occur here? No you don't have to worry about that unless you're in mexico and central and south america and no they don't uh suck blood but what they do is they actually um bite into the animal and they lap up the blood so they do you know they do drink blood but they're not going out there and you know sucking blood off of a vein or something like that
2: um so uh how many different types of bat species do we find here in mississippi
1: We have about 14. Uh, There was, we used to say we had 15, but there was one species we're removing off our list because it's a little brown bat. And it's because everybody thinks our bats are small and they're brown, so everything they see is a little brown bat. And so we originally had them on the list because about decades ago, that's what people were reporting, but we think they actually were seeing other things. And it's not to confuse because, you know, somebody sees a bat in their yard, they do a little search and see the bats in Mississippi, you see a little brown bat, and that's as far as they're going to go. When we have quite a diversity of species, 14 is quite a lot. Um, And most of the time, the bat they're calling me about is actually a red bat that has a bright orange fur, but they think it's little, it's brown, so it's a little brown bat.
2: Now, if, if I think the last time you were on here, you told us about there's the one small bat, the the chicken nugget. Yes, the tricolor
1: <laughs> bat, the flying chicken nugget. I'm telling you, why wouldn't you want to work with those? <laughs> so
2: give us an idea. of. So that's obviously one of the smaller ones, I would guess. H- how big do the bats in Mississippi get to be?
1: Yeah, so tricolor bats, very tiny. Um, I've had some weigh as low as three and four grams, but they average about six grams. Um. And their wingspan is probably about, I want to say, about 8 to 10 inches. And they're, I mean, from nose to tail, we're talking like 3, maybe 4 inches. But, like, their body themselves is, like, less than 2 inches. They're tiny. And then we have on what's a common species that's big is the big brown bat. And they can be from nose to tail or two... At Least their butt is about five inches. That's a big bat, and their wingspan is 12 to 14 inches. And that's what a lot of people see flying around um, the light fixtures at night, the street lights. And they like to forage around there, easy picking for bugs. Um, and then a little bit bigger than that is the hoary bat, which is not common here. Um, they're a large migratory species. And they amass a lot of fat on their body because of the migration. So they're much bigger than the big brown. But we don't really see them down here. You get a few records every now and then. Um, and you can even get them in urban environments. We had one pop up in Bellhaven a few years ago. But we just really don't see them.
2: So you mentioned they eat bugs. Is that their primary diet?
1: Yes. All your bets eat bugs, period. Um You know, people see a lot of videos of fruit bats, and you know, especially the cute Australian bats um, chewing on little bananas. And so that's what they have in their head that bats eat fruit. So sometimes people find bats, and I had a call recently where a guy was giving it a grape. And this is a general rule with any animal you're trying to rescue uh, don't provide it food, don't provide it water, or try to force water upon it uh, because you could end up you know getting into its lungs so if you don't really know what that creature is especially if you're googling to figure out what it is the best to just reach out to a rehabber uh because giving an animal the wrong kind of food like that bat giving it a grape that's a really sugary thing that they're not used to having and that can actually turn a healthy bat sick so all our bats eat insects um we have some that specialize in moths, some that prefer the big beetles, the big brown bats have big teeth for big beetles, uh, getting through all those carapace. And then they do eat mosquitoes, but mosquitoes are tiny and not very nutrient rich. So they're looking for a lot of moths and all the night flying insects.
2: Um, are blind, are bats really blind?
1: No, they're not going to have, um, our bats here aren't going to have like the best vision, but they are not blind. But the thought is, uh, because they use a different way to see at night, that they are blind. But they're really not. They can see you. Um, and their echolocation is really great. I mean, they're processing information and moving around. and I mean, their tiny little brains are working overdrive. Um, so they're not actually blind. They have really good eyesight.
2: And are they exclusively nocturnal?
1: All our bats are. Not to say that you won't see one flying in a day, especially if it get disturbed. Um, especially a lot of our tree roosting species, uh, cardinals and blue jays like to harass them. So you might see one flying during the day, but that is abnormal. They are primarily nocturnal.
2: Um, I mentioned a couple weeks ago on the air, I'd recently gone to the Memphis Zoo and they have a great uh, exhibit that for the nocturnal animals where you go in there and it's dark. And I remember there were a, a number of bats in there. So... Um, hey, we have got a caller on the line that wants to talk about bats. So let's say good morning to Linda calling in from Edwards. Go ahead, Linda. You're on the air.
5: Good morning. Wow, I'm so excited. So my question is, my neighbor built a bat house, and you know he hung it up high. He it out to do it, but is there anything we can do to help attract the bats to it?
1: No, um, some people thought that putting guano, you know, the bat's guano would attract them, but it really doesn't. Um, The rule of thumb is if they need that, they'll use it. You know, if they're not using it, it's because they have enough trees nearby or suitable areas. So I usually only use a bat house. If like you have bats already in your attic and you're excluding them, but you want to keep them in the area. So you're removing them from an artificial habitat and hopefully that they would move into the bat house. But bats are going to do what they want to do. I mean, you can build a house correctly, multi-chamber, hanging up the right, uh, facing the right way, painted the right way. And bats aren't using it. And it's because they have what they need. Uh, So, yeah, there's no scent lure that would attract them and even if you like removed a colony and put them in the bat house they like to fly right off i've done several i have bat houses out at the museum trails i have them in perfect locations i'm following the best advice Uh, but the bats aren't using them because i have enough trees out there for them okay well yeah
5: we have lots of trees well thank you so much and i really enjoy the program
2: Thank you, Linda, for your call. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. If you'd like to join the conversation like Linda did, you can always send us an email to animals at mpbonline.org. So, Caitlin, another thing I guess i probably referencing, you know, movies and TV and that sort of thing is the idea that bats hang upside down when they sleep. Is that correct?
1: Yes, they do. And that is, um, that's for basically twofold purposes. Our bats aren't really strong enough to take off from the ground. Um, so if they get stranded down on the ground, usually they need to find something and climb up to leave, uh, you know, get high enough to generate lift. So if they're already hanging upside down, all they have to do is fall. <laughs> and another thing is while they're hanging upside down, they're seeing what's below them. So say a predator raccoon comes by, they can see it, and they're already in position to quickly leave.
2: And are bats social creatures?
1: Yes, yes, they are. We have some that are solitary that will roost by themselves, but then you have like the Mexican freetail bat. If you go down to San Antonio, Texas, at Bracken Cave, there's 15 million oh, wow. of those in that cave. That is the largest roost in the world. And when you emerge, you can actually see it on the Doppler radar. There's just that many bats. We don't have a colony, of course, to that. Uh, In Mississippi, I think I would have learned about it by now. But we do have several uh, thousand, and one cave uh, reports close to 10,000 in the summer.
2: Let's uh, go back to the phone lines. Next, we're going to go off to Franklin County. Melanie has called in today. Good morning. You're on the air with us. Go ahead.
5: Yes, sir. I've got uh, a question for both of your uh, specialists. Rabies and bats. A few years ago Starkville, there was a kitten that had rabies. As I understand, bats, brown bat is the number one source of rabies. Is that a correct statement?
1: So I'm going to take that call. So that, if I remember correctly, that was traced back. That kitten got a hold of a free tail bat. And yes, our bats do carry rabies. It's the only rabies vectors we have in the state but it's still at a very low percentage. So nationwide, it's less than 1%. In Mississippi, we're averaging about 2% that's reported to our health department, but those are usually biased. Those are the ones that are brought in that are most likely to have it. But that's still a very low number. So that being said, anytime you see a bat, you're never supposed to handle it um, barehanded. And I have my pre-exposure shots. Anybody that handles bats, whether it's a rehabber, a biologist, um, even some of our conservation officers, they have to have their pre-exposure rabies shot. Okay,
5: excellent answer.
1: Thank you. Have
2: a good day. Thanks, Melanie, for your call. Uh, And Dr. Major, just a reminder, you know, pets uh, need to be, uh, I guess by law, vaccinated against uh, rabies every year. So that's always something you need to do on their annual checkup. Is that right? That's correct.
4: And uh, the you know cats being cats, if there's a bat fluttering on the ground, they're gonna paw at it, they're gonna play with it if they you know, and that's probably how this kitten or cat uh, got bitten that we were talking about is either Starville or Columbus. And they did DNA test on that and actually it was from a bat. So yes, I would recommend vaccination, even though we don't have a high percentage of any rabies vectors in the state, you know, a lot of states have, uh, rabies carried in, uh, other wild animals, raccoons, uh, 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 I know Texas had at one time, but we're fortunate that we don't have, uh, as, uh, she said, don't have a lot of vectors that would be concerned with rabies, but it's still, it is the law, and, uh, and certainly need to be vaccinated and protected against rabies.
2: Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Science. You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. This hour, we're visiting with Caitlin Cross, biologist at the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, and she's been helping us learn more about bats. So we've got some phones calls to get to but uh caitlin one quick question what is the bat population like in mississippi is it healthy
1: right now um it's relatively healthy we have had some die-offs this summer especially or right now with the drought been getting a lot of calls of um, bats that are emaciated and then just don't recover um from the extreme nature but One big thing that's been um, blowing up North America is white-nose syndrome. And this is one I want to talk about every single time I come on here, white-nose syndrome, because a lot of people still don't know about it. And it's been around since 2006 and started in New York, and it's gone from East Coast to West Coast and to Canada. Mexico still hasn't detected it yet. Uh, And we had our first uh, detection of the fungus in 2014, And we had our first case of white-nose syndrome uh, last year. And I am happy to report, though, this year I did not see any active fungal growth. Uh, So the fungus is still there. We've actually detected it in six new sites, including two new counties. So we have 13 counties that we have detected the fungus. But our bats, um, maybe it's because of our winter, uh, mild winter, or maybe it's because the natural resistance seem to be resistant to this fungus. So we're actually seeing population growth of their, our tricolor bats. But that species has been over 90% decline range-wide. And Fish and Wildlife has proposed it to be listed as endangered because of that. So fingers crossed that down here we keep flourishing because you go to te- i mean just tennessee and north it's not so great mm. just to
3: be sure nobody no other species gets or no other group of animals gets Why, no white syndrome? no syndrome do mm-hmm.
1: it? Okay. it is about only a uh, fungal disease so
2: back to the phone lines we go for a couple of calls we'll start in memphis derwin has called in today good morning you're on the air with us so go ahead
0: Good morning. Good morning, radio personality and, um, the doctors and the aficionados with the bat. This is a question for Ms. Caitlin. Um, as, a, as a kid, as a, as a child, at nine, ten years old, I used to notice these birds, as you mentioned, flying around the light holes. And, and I used to, my friends and I, I said, look, I think they're bad. And and you answered my question on that. I had to get that in there because <laughs> I just noticed how they would fly. Right. I noticed how their their fly flying pattern would be different from an, a, reg, a different uh, uh, regular bird. Um, at first, I thought maybe it was a swallow. You know, because they're very swift as well. Right. A
3: mm-hmm.
0: little fast. Right. But it had a different type of like a, I guess a hesitant type of flying, jerky, jerky kind of pattern of fly. But this is why I call, at my house, if I'm in the yard, I, I, there are times I will see, and it's normally at dusk, um, when it's close to dark, and this little flying hoop, whatever, I, I, like I told uh, the radio personality, I, I told, I thought it was made of flying squirrel. But when he hit the trunk of the tree about 20 feet above my head, I have I my flashlight on me, and I, point it on him, the little animal will go on the other side. You know, I guess kind of shy like. I never could get a good view of it. So could that possibly be a bat or do we actually have flying squirrels here (laughs) in Memphis and Mississippi?
1: I mean, yes, we do have flying squirrels, um, but so you saw this creature fly around and then land on the tree?
0: Right. Okay. I've seen them fly as far as maybe 30, 40 feet.
1: Okay. That's about
0: it. Yeah.
1: yeah, that's about uh, Flying squirrels can only, I know they're called flying squirrels, but they can only glide. Uh, bats are the only mammals capable of true flight. Uh, so a uh, flying squirrel might be able to um, move their potassium to like get a little higher but they can't actually like flap their wings to actually soar and fly around so if it's actually going from a distance and landing on your tree that's a bat and they are really quick um, they don't like that light then you know they're used to um uh, flying around at night so when you shine that light on them yeah they're gonna try to run away and they're really quick they uh, climb around with their thumbs and they're pretty good at uh, evading you. <laughs>
0: Oh, see, I hadn't told my wife this because she's already afraid to come in the yard. There. Oh, no. <laughs>
1: well, so tell her he's a flying I, squirrel. I not not yeah,
0: my son and I, we're, we're the animal people. So, you know, he's it, yet to see the, the, the little flying bat, but it's brownish looking. Mm-hmm. I, I think I've got a very quick glimpse of it. So, I haven't seen him this year.
1: So, <laughs> do you have any cracks in your tree? Too.
0: Like I, I'm quite sure I do in my in my willow oak. Mm-hmm. That thing is about a hundred and some years old. I've had it for by professionals, and I kept my my um, my red oak, so I have a red oak in the back, and I have my my old hundred plus year willow oaks in the back. I had a pine and a sweet gum, but I had to have that removed because it, man, it was just too dangerous. You know, it's in my house during the winter storms and whatnot. You know. Freezing and, and the branches getting weak and they break off and hit your house but I hadn't seen them this year you know <laughs> you may have
3: flying squirrels too yeah because they love acorns mm-hmm. so yes you may have bats and flying squirrels you don't know what's going on out there at <laughs> night yeah
1: <laughs> look for look for uh chewed nuts because flying squirrels have a distinct mm-hmm. way they chew uh they actually chew in a circle yeah um, so if you have like half of a hickory nut or something like that on your yard, that's usually a sign of a flying squirrel. Yeah. Okay.
3: Oh, and they're also that's night, night time. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: All right. Derwin, thanks for your call. Good to hear from you from Memphis. Only got about 30 seconds left, so I'm not sure we want to go into any other phone calls, but it is a chance for me to remind you that, you know, most everybody these days has a smartphone. So if you're out uh, enjoying Mississippi's nature and you see something that you don't know what it is, if you can grab your smartphone out and take a quick picture, because a lot of times you see something and by the time you get your phone out, it's gone. But if you snap a picture and want to know what it is, Email animals at mpbonline.org and Libby is very good at helping you figure out what exactly that is. So, Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting, Think Radio. To hear today's show or previous show, one way is to search for Creature Comforts on your favorite podcasting app or download the MPB Public Media app. Our show is produced by Abram Nanny, so for Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest Caitlin Cross, I'm Kevin Farrell. Inviting you to stay tuned because up next at 10, it's AutoCorrect with Coach Charlie Melton. We'll be back next Thursday night for another Creature Comforts, but only on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org
0: or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on your.